The first reading is Psalm 51, which you can find starting on page 531 in the uh, Old Testament section of the Bible. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. You please stand for the gospel reading. Which is from St. Luke's Gospel. Um, Chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Glory to you, O Lord. Sorry. Hear the gospel. I've not done this for a long time. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, O Lord. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please do sit down. That was a long reading for someone who hasn't read for a while. Thank you very much. I've had my first hot cross bun. I know that Lent is coming because there are hot cross buns around. But um, I wonder if anyone here is old enough to remember when hot cross buns came out on Good Friday. Uh, And that's when you ate them. But now, of course, they're in the bakers and they're in the supermarkets. Um, I I love them, so I don't mind eating them early, even though I can get over my childhood guilt that I'm eating them before Good Friday. But the fact that there is a cross in your baker's and in your supermarket does give you an opportunity if you pause to think. Most people don't know what a hot cross bun is or why it's there or why on earth we would have it. So um, top tip for evangelism in Lent, use your hot cross buns to talk to people about the cross. To our passages this morning, the beginning of the season of Lent just a few days away. And this morning we we begin a five-week Sunday morning series in the Psalms. We'll be looking at being honest with ourselves and with God, at recognising our need for his forgiveness, and that we must determine to put things right with him and in our lives. That's what we mean when we talk about Lent as a penitential season. We've prayed some penitential prayers already today. And we'll look at our prayers in this season, these five weeks, at the power of God's forgiveness and how we come to him as believers. And we begin at Psalm 51, to remind you, page 531, if you want to have it in front of you, a Psalm of David the fourth of what are known as the penitential psalms, of which there are seven, um, identifying the deep grief of the psalmist writer, uh, psalms in which a self-knowledge of sin is strong, but 
Not just that. Even when the psalmist seems to be almost in despair, he's reaching out to the hand that holds salvation. And we'll see this in Psalm 51 today. I can't talk about Psalm 51 without, without talking about why it was written. Some of you will know the story. You'll find it in 2 Samuel 11. As our old vicar said, don't turn it up now. That's not where we're going this morning. But the background to this psalm is an extended chapter of David's failings. The great King David. A sinful desire which is sinfully satisfied and then cynically and sinfully attempted to cover up by the death of Uriah, the wife of Bathsheba. Of course, Uriah dies in battle as a member of the army that David should have been leading instead of skulking around the palace looking for trouble, which he found. And King David engineered all these awful things in this story So the great king carried these things out. The great king who was declared by the prophet Samuel as a man after God's own heart, which he was. He was a great king. I hope one day we'll have a sermon series on King David. We should do. He was God's friend. He's one of the few people in scripture who you see explained as engaging with God as with a friend. David just talks to God. What a picture of prayer from this first encounter in the Psalms. David just talks to God. But here, it's a sad part of his life. He knows when the prophet Nathan comes and says, you are the man, O king, that it's true and he must repent. And his words are very simple. I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't say, I didn't mean to. It's a warm big mistake. Uh, I don't know how it ever happened. I have sinned against the Lord. And with that confession ringing in his ears, he picks up a pen and starts to write Psalm 51. He confesses his sin and guilt. He holds nothing back. He knows his situation. He desperately needs and wants God's mercy. And he knows that it is to God's love and great compassion that he must appeal. And he identifies all of that in the very first verse. If you've got it open, all of that is in verse 1. And we see David's understanding of God's character. And that's something really important for us. We don't grow in the knowledge and love of God and of his son Jesus Christ as we read the Bible like reading a book or a novel. We we grow in those spectacular ways that can happen to us as we encounter scripture as the living word of God. We come to learn more and more and more who he is. We come to learn more of his nature, his character, his desires for us and for the world and for the part each one of us has to play in the advancement of his kingdom. That's part of bringing a fellowship of believers in a particular place, to seek out God's wisdom for us, as to how we advance the kingdom of God here and in our contacts 
and where our front line is, wherever we are, wherever we engage with the world around us. We come to learn and grow, and David knows all of this. He also knows that he cannot deal with his sin on his own. My sin is always before me, he says. And while sin can massively impact other people, and this story tells us that, sin is against God. David knows that, and he says so. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So is he on his knees in tears, in despair? No, he's not. He knows that right from his childhood, God taught him faithfulness and wisdom, and he turns to that now. Those things have been lodged and nurtured in what in verse 6, in some translations, is the secret place of his life, his inner self. Uh, Here, at another service, not so long ago, I was talking about how we need to Give our inner self to God. Here's David, he knows that. He already knows that. Wallowing in sin at one point, stepping out of it now as he steps into the presence of God, exercising that wisdom he's been taught. And he knows that he can be washed clean of his guilt. He blames no one else. His sins are his own. He uses the word my five times in the first three verses. He knows God's cleansing will result in being clean. And clean in a dramatic way. Whiter than snow. Because God's love is unfailing. The word for unfailing here is sometimes translated steadfast. And steadfast is a covenant word. This is helpful for us. It's a little aside, but it's very helpful. David is saying something that I hope can resonate with us as people of the new covenant. Although he knows he is unworthy of all that God has for him, it is from God, and only from God, that he can be washed clean. And because of the covenant relationship, he knows he can come to the Father. You can. I can. We can keep coming. God's covenantal relationship with his people is a key part of our understanding of who we are as Christian disciples. David still belongs and has access to God to seek the forgiveness he needs. So it is for us. There is mercy and grace abounding. In a way, David knew more than the prodigal son. Do you remember the prodigal son, as we call him, comes back to his father and says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. David knows that he is. He doesn't say that. He comes to the Lord God, confident. And in that verse of hyssop, purge me with hyssop, word we come across in the Bible and pretty much not anywhere else, I suspect. But just to say something about that, just a a branch from a bush, uh, ashes mixed uh, with water, and that was used in the Levitical law. 
Why is that of interest to Godfrey? Well, this sprinkling was if you'd been contaminated by the body of a man killed with a sword. Uriah, I am pretty sure, was killed with a sword. So there's a real sense in which David is saying, I know what I've done, and I come for the cleansing I need to be de-sinned from this. And if, in the Levitical law, you didn't do that, if you had been contaminated by contact with a dead body, you are cut off from the community. So grace, salvation, moves you from the risk of being outside the community of the believers with God to the inside. David knows what's at stake. He might not have been thinking that, but I'd like to think that he might have been. It's exciting how different parts of Scripture connect together. Scripture speaks with one voice, but with a number of different timbre. It's a bit like a choir. David knows the way ahead leads to light and restoration. And not just that, but to rejoicing. In verse 8, the word translated rejoice for these restored bones that have been crushed is actually the word for dance. I love that, this idea that sin has crushed his very bones and God's restoration puts the bones back together so that they can dance Think of some of the passages in the New Testament where Jesus heals people who are sick. Do they get up and hobble away, still using their stick, but grateful to be standing? No, they get up and leap and dance. David himself, perhaps a little notoriously, dances before the Ark of the Covenant. It's exciting to be saved. It's a good thing to be saved, It's a joyous thing to be saved, and David knows that. It's a marvellous picture. Forgiveness leads to complete restoration. Uh, It's just delightful. Think of crushed bones dancing, and you'll take that away with you now, I hope. Then we get to verse 10. More rebuilding. We've had grief, we've had confession, we've had moving from... Uh, the brokenness of sin towards the God who can save and cleanse. And now we see the rebuilding of life and the relationship with God. We find him praying for what we might call holiness. And verse 10 paints this full picture of complete renewal. David also says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And I wonder if he was thinking of Saul. Remember how Saul was given God's spirit when he was anointed to rule Israel, but things didn't go well, and that spirit left him. And David's saying, I don't want that to be my end. Now you've renewed me, David says. Give me joy in forgiveness. Give me joy in my restoration, in my renewal. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And lovely this, keep me close. Give me a willing spirit towards you and your ways. Keep me close. Lovely as all of that is, really encouraging as all of that is, it isn't all about David, and David knows that, because he goes on straight away, and here's something for us, to undertake to share with others the knowledge of salvation. 
to sing of God's righteousness, to declare praise to God. When the marathon runs past this church next month, there will be people from this church standing out there expressing the joy of their salvation and singing God's praises for the sweaty men and women who come charging by wanting a bottle of water. Just reminding them, actually it's Sunday, and on Sundays we worship your creator, so have some water. Here's the link with our New Testament passage in the Gospel. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Thank you for reading it as you did. This Pharisee, God, I thank you. You can just picture it, can't you? I thank you that I'm not like other people. Certainly not like him. At the, sorry, Richard, it's not you. People at the back, like that tax collector. The tax collector doesn't say much, does he? He's afraid even to look up. And he knows three things that we all need to know. But the Pharisee doesn't know any of this, apparently. When we are sinners, we have sinned. Our sin needs to be dealt with. It can be dealt with because there is mercy and salvation. And he knows where to go for it. In half a dozen words, he says all he needs to say. And God hears him. And that wonderful New Testament word, he went home justified. Praise God that anyone here who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is justified before him, filled with his righteousness, so that we can be with the Father. And this not all about me pattern of David's prayer is a good one for us to pick up on. Even as we receive from God, we give out. Well, if you're keeping up, we've reached verse 17. Uh, David gets it. It's not the quantity of obedience that God longs for. It's not that he doesn't care how we spend our time or how devoted we are to the advancement of his kingdom. That's not what it's saying here. The point is rather that what he wants to start with is the contrite heart. No amount of sacrifices by a non-contrite heart, the Pharisee in our Gospel reading, gets it done. There's no connection with God. He can't hear that. But the contrite heart, he hears. The one that knows he needs a saviour. That she needs to kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, there's much to learn from David this morning. Even the best of us can fall. Even the best of us can fall. But, do you remember that old chorus, anybody? There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a door that is open and you may go in at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus.
Our prayerful acknowledgement and confession of our sin before God is the beginning of our restoration. And we can absolutely rely on it because God's love is unfailing. Verse 1, Psalm 51. And God doesn't do things by halves. We don't stagger to our feet, half broken, needing a stick to walk. Our bones are restored and we dance. It's graciously offered by a loving God who is like the father in the story of the prodigal son, waiting at the gate for us to come. As the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers us through the Lord Jesus Christ.